Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time you are tuning in. Welcome to Homesteading and Gardening in the Suburbs. I'm Emma from Misfit Gardening and today I wanted to talk about some old gardening and homesteading tips that I found whilst reading through some of my old gardening books and my grandmother's gardening books again. I'm sure that every time I read through these gardening and homesteading books, like I find a brand new tip or two that I want to try in the garden. And, you know, there's a lot of different tips, right? There's a lot of different tricks. There's lots of different things um, that we can do on our homestead and in our garden. Like the internet's been great. There's just so much more information that is out there now. And I just kind of wanted to throw together some of those tips and tricks and things that I kind of found that were interesting and things that I've learned from, um, you know, my time as a homesteader and now we've kind of, you know, upped our homesteading game a little bit. So um, I want to start out that as a homesteader, I really can't put enough emphasis on having some level of emergency supplies. And this wasn't ever anything that I thought of when I was in the UK. Like sometimes we, you know, we thought about, well, you know, putting some money aside for a rainy day or, you know, having you know, some extra kind of food in the pantry or whatever, but nothing kind of like what I've actually really needed as a homesteader. And this was kind of something that we figured out from talking to farmers and other homesteaders not just here in Maine locally, but kind of, you know, other homesteaders and things that we've talked to along um, the journey of us doing this homesteading thing, right? So, I mean, I'm kind of talking emergency supplies being things like a good first aid kit, um, a torture, a flashlight and spare batteries, an emergency radio for the weather, um, water, having like water available, especially when we didn't have a pump that was working and we didn't have a water supply for two weeks um you know we definitely needed water having um canned shelf stable food um being available for you and your family but also for your pets or animals right making sure that you've got feed for any animals that you might have like nothing overly crazy in terms of emergency supplies but know that what you might want in your emergency supplies is going to differ depending on where you live right? If you live in Alaska or in a very northern state, like your kit might have more cold weather and heating type of supplies available. Maybe you live somewhere with tornadoes or even hurricanes, right? What do you need for those? And if you are listening to this and you have been impacted by Hurricane Ian or other natural disasters, then please be sure to reach out to you know, many of the non-profit organizations or agencies that are going to be operating in those areas, you know, you're going to be able to find people there to talk to about aid and support. There's programs that are there that can help you and your family. There's a wealth of information that's available online from things like post-disaster safety to how to spot a scam during times of crisis, which unfortunately um, is the world that we live in. Um, so, you know, make sure that, you know, you get that information and you know if you're listening and you've got you know friends and family that you want to help or other people that you want to help you know there's lots of information available on how you can support so you know just take a look and see how you can help um but also if you've got friends and family that are there you know you might want to be able to help them out by sending them the information so they can um get the aid and support that they need 
So I wouldn't be doing an emergency kit any justice without talking about an emergency fund. Um, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, right? Saving it for a rainy day. And it seems like when an emergency happens, it really is a rainy day indeed, like figuratively. Um, but if you're wanting to be a homesteader and you don't have an emergency fund of savings, then I really urge you to start putting some money aside to build your emergency fund. And just just this comes from, um, you know, experience with you know emergencies and things happen so um over the last week our puppies have been in and out of the emergency vet and the regular vet and the bills are absolutely astronomical um a good emergency fund helps to take some of the worry and headache out of what has to be done and what needs to be done. Um, the emergency fund isn't for a vacation. It's not for a new spring wardrobe so that you're on trend with your mates. It's not for that like, oh, I've got to go on a night out so my co-workers don't think I'm lame. Like I need to buy all of the pints that everybody's drinking or anything like that like I don't need to be buying dinner for everybody right that's that's not an emergency um it's not for the brand new cell phone that's been released or that new pair of you know shoes that are $300 a pair or whatever it is right it is for emergencies and you know there's been several emergencies that we've been through um like our freezer broke and we lost the food um car tire puncture and replacement was needed um dog ate something that they shouldn't have um you or your kid need to visit the er the water heater died pipes froze and burst and we needed an emergency plumber right the emergency fund is something that we always strive to rebuild and maintain um this is one kind of old-timey homesteading tip that's kind of right up on the top of my list always like i never really put a lot of thought into you know when my grandparents and stuff were saying like save it for an emergency day you know save it for an emergency save it for a rainy day i never really thought about that um, mostly because I took it in a literal sense of like, but gran, it's raining, it's England, right? <laughs> um, you know, that wasn't what she meant. Like emergencies happen, you know, things do happen. Um, and if we have an emergency fund, then we're going to be able to, you know, at least take some of that worry and concern off our shoulders by being able to, you know, do the things that, that we need to. So if you haven't already started one, start an emergency fund and there's a really interesting frugal movement that i'm starting to see um and there's lots of things that are kind of easy to do frugal things like cheap batch cooking and meals free activities for you and your family how to think fix things yourself or do diy right visible mending of clothing this one i find really fun um it's kind of where you patch and mend clothing in a way that it becomes unique and the repair is actually a feature of the clothing um you know and there's, there's all of these different you know frugal tips and tricks and ways to save money all the way up to the more extreme like no spending frugality right and it's kind of interesting that you can kind of see all of these things that people are doing and you know you've got availability to kind of pick and choose the things that will work for you and your family i mean some people like the no spend extreme frugality like that's what they want to do and that's 
awesome that you want to do that. But for others, you know, it might be like a big deal for you to kind of try visible mending of your clothes or trying to do a repair or a DIY yourself. Um, you know, so finding things that kind of fit with, you know, your vibe on who you are and, you know, the family and, you know, the the homestead that you have but I will say that growing a garden is a common old tip to save money and most homesteaders have a garden um, and for us you know an update on the home front is that we're getting frosts now here in Maine it is definitely cold the leaves have been stunning here for the last two weeks and you know it's kind of made hauling wood chips from you know the the top of the road all the way down to the bottom of the garden quite pleasant on the weekends um as fun as that has been like hefting a wheelbarrow it's actually not been too bad because you know you're able to look at these gorgeous colors of the trees and the beautiful blue sky and um our no dig garden beds are going in one at a time pretty slowly as the availability of cardboard allows me to make a section and I th honestly I think it's going to be a couple of seasons before the no dig garden beds are all in and that's kind of the buy-off time versus money this is how things are all kind of tying in together right um it takes a lot longer for me to do it for free um, and by do it for free, I mean putting in the garden beds. Um, it takes me time to gather materials to be able to make the no dig bed, right? Sure, I could spend a bunch of money to buy in materials like yards of compost or, you know, the paper weed block or craft paper rolls. I could spend, you know, time driving around, you know, various places. I mean, I'd have to go, you know, further into town or into the city to see about, you know, going to various stores seeing if I could get cardboard boxes and stuff out of the dumpsters things like that which yeah I could do but you know would I rather be spending my time doing something else instead yeah yeah I, I probably would so for me I'm okay with it taking longer to do that you might want it to be faster and that's okay and I know for many of you the homestead garden came from a desire to have fresh homegrown fruit and vegetables without pesticides or without genetically modified organisms or GMOs like you wanted to save money at the grocery store and have good fresh food for you and your family your starter garden is only as ex as expensive as you make it you can start small and very frugally and take your time to build it bigger like I'm doing or you can invest the money up front and have the beds that you want you can have the fancy metal beds if you want them you can have the the pretty you know wooden raised beds if you want them you can have brick raised beds if you want you can have your bed however you want it it's up to you and what you're comfortable with but also that time versus money you know decision that you need to make and that's okay like you do what you want in your garden and what you're comfortable with and don't let anybody else tell you that that's not right and that's not how you should be doing so let's dig into some old-time gardening tips and I will preface this that there is a level of critical thinking that is needed when you start reading older tips sometimes the advice that they give is just straight up risky 
like the things have been replaced with safer alternatives there's you know safer methods of doing stuff now right so if you do happen to come across old gardening books at the thrift store or a yard sale or a library sale or elsewhere right just know that some of the tips that are in there are best left on the paper rather than being practiced in the garden right i've been reading books from you know the early 1900s or you know late 1800s the 1920s the 40s the 70s and they're not quite yet vintage 1990s right there's a lot of things that are the same across all of these eras but there's a lot of things that are very different like chemicals and stuff that are advised on you know treating some of the problems in the garden um and you know things that get added to the soil are somewhat straight up questionable um and you know are things that are not in commonplace now right we've got a lot more information available now you know there, there was one thing that i saw about painting lead paint on something and i think it was a tree or something like that straight up that is not something that you ever want anywhere near your garden is things with lead in them so you know this is what i'm saying like you need to have like a level of critical thinking about you know is this tip something that might be risky to my health or the health of other people in the garden and if in doubt leave it out your garden right it's it's fine to kind of read and get an understanding of like how things were done back then but leave it there on the paper. Don't bring it into your garden. So let's talk about some tips that you might want to consider. Um, the first of all is compost, compost, compost. The biggest frugal old fashioned gardening tip is to compost practically everything. Compost is the cornerstone of improving and feeding the soil, which help your plants to grow and thrive. If you don't already have a compost pile, do a bit of research and see what type of compost bin is going to work best for you and start gathering kitchen scraps for your compost. Like it's never too late to start composting and as soon as you start composting and using it in the garden you'll wish that you started even sooner so get composting the second tip that I have is when sowing onion seeds, you want to spread a little chicken manure and um, bone meal onto the ground and work that into the garden bed just before sowing. And then thin onion seedlings that are growing too close together for green onions or, or as spring onions for the kitchen. Um, when you're thinning onions or thinning any crop really sometimes you can use them for the kitchen um, and get like an extra kind of harvest out of stuff that would more often end up in the compost heap so baby onions baby leeks things like that they're all really good and can be used as a substitute for you know green onions that you're buying in the store or chives or whatever um, so that's just a, a quick tip for you there Regular watering of tomatoes helps prevent cracking and splitting, so less tomatoes are wasted and rotting on the vine. Same with regular feeding. So regular feeding with a dilute compost tea can help your tomatoes have a steady growth over the season. You want to avoid like surges in watering and surges in feeding when it comes to tomatoes because you can end up with you know more problems by doing that whereas if you keep them you know slow and steady on a good schedule right of, of watering and feeding that's going to help you have a better crop of tomatoes 
Uh, speaking of overfeeding and having a schedule, don't overfeed your cucumber plants with nitrogen in fertilizers or in composted manure. Don't let your cucumber plants dry out either. You want to make sure that they have moist but not waterlogged soil. Too much nitrogen can make your cucumbers taste bitter and same if you let them dry out, they can taste bitter. So if you've had a bit of a problem with bitter cucumbers then maybe what you've added into your soil or your watering schedule might be to blame so that's something to maybe look at for the next season uh, regular watering of potatoes can also help increase the yield but you want to avoid watering the foliage and splashing the soil onto the leaves to reduce the spread of blight and I would add to this tip and say that using a thick mulch is going to help give a barrier between the soil and the potato foliage as well as keeping potatoes that are growing close to the surface from being exposed to light and going green I know there is somebody in the Facebook group who was experimenting with different potato growing methods and I would love to hear how that update went and same for you if you're listening and you're part of the Facebook group or even if you're not part of the Facebook group if you've grown potatoes in different ways like no dig methods versus ones where you're digging and healing up the potatoes I would love to hear from you like which method grows better um, let us know over in the Facebook group um, next tip when harvesting broccoli pick the entire center spears first to encourage side shoots which prolongs the harvest period because the plant is going to produce more smaller spears um, zucchini or courgette uh, or even marrows will grow well if planted out on an old manure pile that is two years or more old um, you can also grow them on the remains of the previous year's compost heap um, zucchinis or marrows or courgettes depending on where you're from um, they can also be grown as an intercrop in between brussels sprouts which maximizes your growing space um, but you want to watch out for a soft growth of the fruits and blossom end rot from happening on the fruits from too much nitrogen being in the soil i will also say that growing things like pumpkins and winter squashes on old manure heaps or old compost heaps is another trick to be able to have um, a good you know nutrient rich soil that's going to help produce a good flourish of fruits and things like those heavy feeding crops like pumpkins and winter squashes um they they will definitely appreciate all of that additional um rich compost that's right there so if you have a compost bin that you're able to kind of move around in different sections of the garden um that's kind of a cool way to be able to use the compost that's kind of been left behind and it's not just a, a random space that's been left and nothing's really growing there you can absolutely put that to some use but if you've got a compost bin like i do that's kind of in a permanent location and not really something that you were um planning on growing anything in um you know you could kind of change things out and let something grow in there just for fun um but more often than not you might end up with having um a lot of compost certainly after a couple of years of growing and you're just going to end up kind of moving it out of that compost bin and to somewhere else to let it kind of settle for a bit so some people grow squashes and things on there other people don't it's just whatever works for you in your garden 
Ah, let's talk about fava or broad beans, which are one of my favorites. And once picking and harvesting the pods is finished, you can actually dig that entire plant, the whole plant into the soil as a green manure. And you can use that garden bed for growing next year's cabbages would be popular in the UK, but anything that needs like a, a nitrogen rich soil. So you could also use it for corn, for example. Um, but that's a cool way to be able to, hey, I've got all these plants growing in the bed rather than having to you know chop everything off you know at soil level and then putting it into the compost bin you could dig it straight into the soil there as a green manure and then let everything decompose over winter and then come next spring plant things in there it kind of saves that extra step of having to bring you know compost or well rotted manure if you're using that and that features an awful lot in some of these um, older gardening books like well rotted manure and things but there's not a lot um, per se about green manures and using plants as a manure to feed the soil so fava beans and broad beans once you've picked them dig the whole plant into the soil and leave it there for the following year. Um, using cloches, polytunnels and cold frames, um, these are an invaluable garden aid. If you don't yet have some sort of frost protection, um, definitely spend some time over the winter or while your garden's on a wind down to kind of see what's going to work best for you. I love polytunnels. I love floating row covers, especially ones that are kind of plastic that you can move around. I also really like cold frames, although cold frames can be a bit bulky and you might need more than one person um, to move them around. Um, but having, you know, something that you can put over the soil to pre-warm it is going to take you from being you know, just a hobby gardener to a next level gardener. So if you place your um, cloche or a polytunnel cold frame on the soil seven to 10 days before you plan on sowing seeds in it, it's going to pre-warm that soil. And then you can lift that frost protection thing off the soil, sow the seeds, water them in and place that cloche or polytunnel or the cold frame back over the soil and then leave it in place. It's going to protect plants from that cooler weather. You're going to get germination happening earlier. And if you leave it in place until tall tender plants like beans and things are touching the glass, um, you're going to end up with an earlier harvest. And I'll add that you might you know, you definitely want to make sure that you cover your plants if cold or frosty weather happens. So you don't lose your crop, particularly if they're not hardy, like beans, your squashes, your um, tomatoes, eggplant, peppers, okra, all that kind of stuff. None of that is frost hardy. So you want to make sure that you keep your frost protection over those plants until after the risk of frost has passed in early spring. But if you time it right and you use the right crops, those that are, you know, cold weather and hardy or frost tolerant crops, you could be planting and sowing six weeks earlier or even more in mild climates than your average last frost date in spring. So understanding and using, you know, some level of frost protection is actually a really good skill to start practicing. Even if you're a new gardener, like you can use a cloche, 
like you can make a cloche from things like a soda bottle or um, a clear or translucent milk carton something like that and you just cut the bottom off keep the, the lid on there so you can um, pop it on top of the plant if you've got a particularly cold night but it helps keep the worst of that weather off the plant and will help just keep that temperature above freezing um, inside there and will help your plant be able to um, tolerate and get established much much quicker in the season so take a look spend some time to learn about frost protection um, you know over over this winter and see how you can use it to get planting earlier come next spring um, my next tip is probably one that you've heard me say a lot before and that is save seeds from plants that grow well that is a common theme in older gardening books particularly the the really early ones sort of you know 1900s late 1800s um even into the 20s are very much kind of saving seeds from plants that grow well leaving some plants in place in the garden to produce seed for next year um, for some areas if you've got a very very cold climate you are going to need to protect those plants with heavy mulching and some sort of frost protection um, so that they're able to produce the seeds the next year but you know in actual fact is it's probably worth doing it um, and spending that time at the end of the season to kind of wrap up some of these crops that produce seed on the second year so that'll be things like your cabbages your kales um, anything in the brassica family onions um, are also biennial um, spinach beets all of that sort of stuff and you know realistically the time that you spend doing that and then letting them go to seed the pollinators will do their thing or the wind pollination will do its thing um you know you're gonna have a lot more seed from those plants than you know probably what you're gonna ever need to to grow um in 10 years <laughs> if not more um if you've got a small garden and um being able to have those skills of saving seed and you know doing some basic seed selection of plants so you know you want to be saving seed from plants that you know are not showing signs of disease or susceptibility to stuff and i've done lots and lots of podcasts about saving seeds and things you know you're you're going to be helping develop your garden that grows the way that you garden and has a good amount of um resiliency to the weather and pests and diseases and things like that that are commonplace in your garden area so um saving seeds definitely a popular pastime um from years gone by not so popular now but it is making a resurgence so um if you have a library nearby see if they've got books on save uh, on seed saving if i can talk properly um and you know there's plenty of videos that are available for free that show you how to save seeds from plants as well um and don't be afraid to try new varieties that's something that i gleaned from many of the books that i was reading um there is likely a variety that you are going to like a lot more and there's likely to be varieties that you like a whole lot less and don't be afraid to try some of those different varieties um whether it's seed swapping you know you just like the look of something in in a catalog maybe um you know don't be afraid to try it if you want to and if you don't like it don't be afraid to share it with another gardener or swap it 
in a seed swap for something else. Um, variety is the spice of life, they say. Um, use common sense and think carefully over your garden plan. Um, adapt other garden plans to suit your circumstances and requirements. Grow more of the things that you like to eat and don't grow the things that you don't like to eat, right? That seems pretty common sense, but you'd be surprised how often people grow a garden and they're you know trying to follow exactly what somebody else is growing in a book like step by step verbatim and you know it might be things that you absolutely hate growing and hate eating um so for example i have got i mean because i've been going through and storing all of my seeds and i'm storing things in glass like i have got like quarts quarts and quarts and quarts and quarts of bean seeds and squash seeds i apparently have a bean and squash problem um because i have so many and so many varieties but i love to grow beans i love to eat beans i love to grow and eat squash my husband hates squash really uh, there's only like two types of squash that he really likes to eat neither of those are ones that i like to eat right um but if i was going to be following another gardener perhaps in a different climate right their gardening and plants that they're going to be trying to grow might be uh, ones that thrive in their climate but may not necessarily be ones that thrive in my climate right so i've got to use my common sense as much as i love sweet potatoes i don't have a long enough growing season to grow sweet potatoes out in the garden um, if i'm going to do sweet potatoes it's going to have to be in a greenhouse which i don't have so you know think carefully over your garden plan and i know i emphasize it a lot about taking the time to plan out your garden what is it that you're wanting to grow what are the things that you like right but also having a good think about is this something that's going to grow in my climate is this something that is going to grow in the number of days that my season is right i don't have a super long growing season um i can't really grow anything that's going to be more than 150 days and that's really pushing it um and that <laughs> that's if i start things indoors um you know so use your common sense and think carefully before you start planting things because if you're planting things that you're not going to eat you're just wasting that garden space for things that could be growing that you do like to eat Let's talk about mulching next um and well weeds i guess because mulching or using a garden hoe is the best way to tackle weeds and honestly a garden hoe is really one of the few tools that i have um i have what do i have in terms of garden tools i have a shovel a garden fork a rake uh, i've got two types of garden hoe i've got a stirrup hoe and i've got a onion or potato hoe um and I've got a potato fork and that's about it um, and really the shovel doesn't get used very much other than shoveling um, wood chips into a wheelbarrow now um, certainly as we move over to a no dig garden like the shovel's going to be used less and less the garden fork um, more often than you think because of having to dig out like root crops and stuff like that but 
you know, there's not a lot that we use, but the garden hoe, um, I certainly used a lot when I had a garden bed where I had dug everything in and now the pasture's kind of taken things back. Um, it's too much even for a garden hoe to be able to tackle. But if you are actually getting out there on a weekly basis and doing a little and often, you know, hoeing between rows and things like that's really one of the best way to tackle weeds. If you've got more of a no dig garden, then yeah, you can still use a garden hoe to take care of the weeds. That's fine. Um, mulching might actually be an easier way for you to deal with weeds um, and just kind of pull out the bigger ones that kind of are persistent in pushing through all of that mulch to get to the top again it's down to whatever works for you some people really like to spend that time you know d tackling weeds each week it's a bit of exercise it's kind of fun other people you know we're more more apt to be putting in some garden mulch and spreading that around and using the time to kind of check on how things are growing check for pests and diseases rather than dealing with weeds it's up to you um, pay back your soil every year for what it has provided. So feed your soil with compost, green manures or well rotted manure every year because the more that you put back into your soil, the better your plants are going to grow. You are feeding your soil and it's the soil that's going to feed your plants which then don't be stingy when it comes to replace those nutrients each year. But you don't want to overdo it too. So it's a fine balance between having to you know put stuff into your soil and it being too much and having an adverse effect on your plants so sometimes it's better especially as a new gardener to start with like a little and often and just kind of see how things grow you can absolutely overdo it with well rotted manure um well rotted manure is often often recommended um to add a lot of nutrients into your soil because it does add a lot of nutrients back into your soil um and you know some people are okay with that other people not so much and just like to stick with compost i like to stick with compost i feel that even if i get heavy-handed with compost and i i add a lot of compost to stuff it doesn't um have quite the impact of what a well rotted manure would do and if i added too much of the well rotted manure um so if you're a new gardener um maybe stick with compost and green manures um if you're a bit more advanced don't try to transplant beet seedlings if you thin from the row um i've found and certainly like as i was reading through some of these books i was like oh that makes sense now um but usually beet seedlings are not recommended for transplanting so you don't usually start beets indoors um because they usually bolt or run to seed when you transplant them so instead start your beet seeds like directly outside if you're going to be thinning them just use them in a salad or put them into the compost bin instead like don't don't try to replant them because they're not going to do anything other than run to seed celery um celery grows best in a fertile moist soil actually the original plant like the parent plant for celery grew very well in kind of boggy areas or in ditches and things with you know questionable 
um, water <laughs> quality, we'll say. Um, and celery, the cultivated vegetable that we grow now, and sometimes some of us love it, some of us hate it, but it, it needs that fertile and well moist soil. And if you can plant it in a wetter part of your garden where there's consistent moisture, it's going to be much easier for you to grow. Um, but you want to make sure you work in plenty of compost or well, rotten manure um, or even rotten leaves into the soil before planting. You want to get plenty of materials in there that are going to provide nutrients throughout that growing season and to avoid that tough celery you want to provide that regular watering a lot of people grow celery in a celery trench um, and that helps to um, blanch those stems so i don't know if you've ever seen celery at the grocery store where it's kind of pale towards the bottom end and that's because it has been blanched it helps keep it tender um, and avoids that kind of super tough stocky texture that a lot of us really really hate and um you know there's a couple of ways to do that but the trenching's typically what people do and when it comes to digging a celery trench you don't want to dig it too deep and that's a common mistake is digging it too deep but more often than not is what happens when people dig the celery trench they don't add in the compost or the other um things to add the fertility into the soil that the plant is going to need. So remember, celery grows best in a fertile, moist soil. Um, another tip that I read was that everybody has a bad year or things that don't grow well. Don't expect everything to always thrive. And I think that's a, a good reminder for all of us, even if we've been gardening for a while, is not everything is going to thrive all of the time some things grow really well and other things don't and that happens to you know all of us so if you're a new gardener and you're just trying this out and things didn't grow well just remember that you know we all started you know having our very first garden and even now some of us with lots and lots of years gardening we sometimes have things that don't grow well too um, in cooler climates you can start your corn seeds indoors and transplant them into four inch nursery pots and then transplant them outside after the last frost in spring and you want to lightly hoe the weeds in between the plants and don't hoe too deep to avoid damaging the shallow roots of the corn you want to plant your corn in blocks or squares of at least 12 plants long and 12 plants wide so if you're doing 12 by 12 plants that would be 144 plants in total okay corn is pollinated by the wind and growing in these blocks are going to help your plants have better pollination than in planting in rows so if you've tried planting corn and not really had any corn um to harvest and you planted it in rows try planting in blocks and try doing the 12 by 12 i know it's a lot of plants and it's probably more um you know seeds than what you will get in a seed packet and that does sound like a big amount of space so you know you can try doing a smaller number of plants if you want to um but know that you still might not get enough of the good pollination and I will say that 144 plants, if they all grow and you get a lot of corn, um, you know, there's lots of ways that you can preserve it. So you can look to having it preserved and in the freezer or canned or however you prefer to store corn to enjoy throughout winter. 
Um, don't try to grow too much at once. And I know this comes right off the bat of me saying about growing 144 corn plants. Um, but it is better to try to start slowly, not to try and grow too much at once and work your way up to a bigger garden. So, you know, if that's, if the 144 plants of corn is too much, don't sweat it, you know, maybe look at getting locally grown, organically raised corn or something, you know, from a CSA or from a farmer's market instead, until you're a bit more confident with your gardening skills, right? With each new plant that you are growing, um, you know, there's, there's a different way to growing that. So growing turnips is very different to growing cabbage and growing those plants is very different to growing tomatoes or eggplant or peppers right there's different nuances for these plants and for the plant families so you know if you start small and build your skills and confidence you're going to find it a little bit easier to work your way up to a bigger garden a bit more slowly uh, next tip, when Brussels sprouts have finished growing, you can pinch out the leafy centre of the plant at the top, and this can be cooked like cabbage. Um, to avoid carrots and parsnips that have legs or are forked, or ones that have long whiskery roots that come off them, you want to sow the seeds in a garden bed that was used for a heavy feeding crop like cabbage or winter greens like uh, broccoli or cauliflower or kale, not winter green, the plant. Um, I'm talking about like brassicas. Um, I'll add in that carrots and parsnips do need some fertility in the soil to grow. So you don't want to be sowing these in really poor soils. Um, you know, they need something to be able to grow. They need some fertility. They need some humus in the soil. But, you know, definitely skip growing them in a garden bed where you just added a bunch of well-rotted manure. But if you are growing a crop in that bed, so let's say you grow corn in there or you've grown tomatoes in there or you've grown cabbages and cauliflower and kale in that bed then you want to put in your carrots or parsnips then that would be spot on so don't make the mistake of thinking that you want to you know avoid growing carrots and parsnips in you know a bed where you've added this stuff you want to uh, you know just avoid it having it really high levels in there so you want to kind of medium level of fertility in that garden bed before growing carrots or parsnips uh, so lettuce radishes carrots peas spring onions and salad greens every two weeks to extend the growing and harvesting season don't water hot peppers too often because the peppers lose their heat and their spice so if you like a hot pepper then um, sometimes skipping the watering really helps add in that heat to reduce soil pests and diseases, don't grow the same vegetable family in the same garden space each year. Make sure to rotate your crops around the garden each year. And that's going to help provide a break in the soil between host plants. Um, so you're going to reduce the amount of pests and soil-borne diseases in your garden. What gardening tips or homesteading tips do you have? Let us know over in the Facebook group and until next time, I hope your garden grows beautifully and I'll see you next week.